The Retirement and IRA Show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor. Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier and Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor. This is the Retirement and IRA Show coming to you from beautiful northern Colorado. Join us as certified financial planner Jim Saulnier, as well as Colorado State University finance instructor and certified financial planner Chris Stein, teach you about IRAs, 401ks, annuities, social security, pension plans, and estate planning in a fun and enjoyable show. Whether you are listening live in Colorado or streaming from their website or iTunes podcast, Jim and Chris want you to know that they're available to help you plan for your retirement. Just visit their website at jimhelps.com. That's jim, H-E-L-P-S dot com. And click the Meet the Team button on the homepage. Now, here's Jim and Chris with today's show. Well, welcome to the Retirement and IRA Show EDU edition for this week. We're on to a new topic, if you will. We've had a series of EDU shows where we had our discussion where we kind of had a back and forth with listeners and as they shared their uh, approach to retirement planning for the, you know, the do-it-yourself crowd out there. And we're going to revisit that later. If you were tuning in for another one of those shows, we're going to, it has been popular enough that we're going to revisit that quarterly. So every few months we'll, we'll circle back and have that conversation again and read some emails that are shared with us. Today we're uh, moving on, and uh, it is uh, Ed Slot tax planning time, uh, which means uh, Jim's going to share with us kind of a, uh, well, it's a test that uh, he and the others that attend the Ed Slot training programs um, take. He finally took his uh, after being harassed for quite some time, I've heard, from the Ed Slot program to take it. He's taken it, and then as always, we've been doing this for the last few years, he brings that quiz slash test to the show, and we walk through it, and he asks me these questions. Despite me not going through the training program like he did, so I want to point that out before people maybe think less of me for not being able to answer all these questions. Um, I'll do my best, but it'll be uh, interesting to hear what the correct answer is to some of these, because usually Ed Slot puts some interesting questions together on these tests. So um, I'll invite Jim in now with test in hand, I'm sure. Already covering your hiney, I see. Well, I think think people should just be aware of of that. No, no, I'm glad you did. This, folks, was a tough test. Uh, it is entirely secure, too, which is what I had a feeling it would be. And I did it last night uh, in between, not in between, at the end of watching the football game. And it was getting late. I, in fact, it was, uh, what time was it? 11.58 p.m. when my test was graded. So almost midnight. And my brain wasn't on file like it usually is. And I did remember thinking, wow, this is, a, this is a challenging test. 
And you have to listen closely to a lot of the answers. They are that close where you start to think, well, this could be right. Well, that could be right. And the worst thing, overanalyze it, which is the <laughs> thing that I'm uh, involved in the most. Um, and I got three wrong, folks. The last test that we did like this, I got them all right. There, I freely admit, I uh, muffed it on three. But um, a couple of them, under protest, I might add, uh, because I didn't read the question. I read the question. I didn't pay attention to the answers. And just the way they word it with a few words, just if you interpreted them wrong, those words could get you in trouble. So keep that in mind. I will tell you ahead of time, Chris, if I got this one right or wrong, just so you know ahead of time. And um, there's 20 questions. We are not going to get through them all on this show because what I want to do is a little bit different, folks. It's not just, hey, here are the questions. Let's see if you guys can pass the Ed Slot uh, test. It's not only asking the question and then giving the answer. It's then giving Chris and myself time to opine and describe a little bit more about the nuances of the question or the fact that's being presented or how it relates somehow to secure. I just want to add some detail. So I don't see us getting through 20 questions at all. How many shows did it take us last time? Two or three? No more than three, but I thought we did it it in two. But it could have taken, it it might have stretched into three. Okay. We'll see. But remember, I told you recently, Chris, that I need to do it. I haven't done it. And in a couple more weeks, November, actually another month, uh, November 2nd and 3rd, I think, is the next Ed Slot training, which is on Zoom. So it's remote. His last time doing it, he likes them in person. So he said no more uh, remote unless, of course, the country shuts down again for another communicable disease. But um, this is going to allow me to do it from uh, Cincinnati. I will actually be in Loveland, Ohio uh, for two weeks towards the end of October uh, into the... I think I get there October 26th or 7th. I'm be flying in from Philly. I think I get there the 26th or 27th, and I will stay there until around the 12th or 13th of November. Then I will drive because I'm going to leave my car in Cincinnati at the airport and uh, fly from Cincy to Texas, from Texas to Mass, from Mass to Philly, from Philly to Cincy. And then drive back to Colorado. So it'll be a long trip for me. Be fun, hopefully. It'll be a workcation, not a vacation. So I will be working remotely and doing my Ed Slot training uh, the 2nd and 3rd of November from sunny Loveland, Ohio. There's a Loveland, Colorado. This will be Loveland, Ohio. And I hope it's sunny and not rainy, but we shall see. Alrighty, Chris, are you ready? Ready as I'll ever be. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Do you have a drum roll, Chris? Do you have that Uh, sound effect yet? I don't have a drum roll. You've got to get a drum roll. I keep asking you for a drum roll. I have the underdog song, though. Why did you get the underdog? Oh, because of you? No. (laughs) What? No. Well, because you didn't attend the Ed Slot, so you're the underdog. Oh, no. I've always had it on here. Remember how we used to play it? This world, the headlines read, of those whose hearts are filled with greed, and Robin steal from those who need to right this wrong with blinding speed, goes underdog, 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 underdog. 
What did we used to use that for? I was going to ask you. What I remember it now, but yeah. in what context did we use underdog theme? And why do you still Something have about it? about saving the day. I don't know. Well, I just hate to delete it. It's such a classic. It is a classic. You gave me a trip down memory lane. I yeah. wanted you to keep going. But this is apropos because you were complaining, whining a little that oh. you didn't attend the Ed Slot class and you're going to try your best. So you are the underdog. I'll go with that. All right. Good deal. <laughs> okay. So anyways, folks. This first question, we will expand a little bit upon them. And all jokes aside, this was a tough test. This isn't to to test Chris's knowledge. Everybody who listens to this podcast knows he knows what in the heck it is he's talking about, especially with Social Security. If you gave me a test on Social Security, I can promise you uh, I will fail it or come very, very close to failing it. So... Um, this is nothing to, to judge him by if he gets one of them wrong. And it's a chance for you all to test your knowledge on SECURE. And it gives Chris, and especially me, a chance to delve a little bit deeper into each question and the nuances around it. Okay, so with all that said, first question. Mm-hmm. Um, I did get this one correct. So a little shout out to me there, like a clapping thing. But um, this one's a I don't I'm not a fan of this question, but I will ask it anyways because it was the first question. What is the drafting era in Secure Two concerning the delayed first required minimum distribution age? So there's a drafting era in there. Astute listeners will know. The IRS addressed this drafting letter in a recent uh, opinion. It's not an opinion. I forget what they they call it, Um, where they specifically said, we're going to ignore this. Mm -hmm. Okay. So one more time. What is the drafting error in Secure 2 concerning the delayed first required minimum distribution age? Your four choices, Chris, are A, Someone born after 2022 does not have a first retirement age. B, someone born in 1959 has two first retirement ages. C, the first retirement age for someone reaching age 72 in 2023 remains age 72. Or D, none of the above. Again, I'm not a fan of this question. It's confusing. I had to read it several times, and then I remembered what it was. Mm -hmm. But not a fan of this first question. Okay. Well, I think it's B as in boy. Someone born in 1959 has two two Mm -hmm. first RMDs. Yep. Is that your final answer? Yes. No lifelines? No nothing like that? No. Okay. You are correct. Give yourself a little bit of clap. Nice. I could get into the nuances of it, folks, but it's very, very confusing. But literally, the way the law was written and the rules around it meant that someone born in 1959 had two RMD ages, first RMD ages. And Congress obviously did not mean it that way, yeah. so they went back and they fixed it. 
That's about as deep into the weeds I want to get on it. It's okay. I could get in deeper, but why? It's been fixed. It's not in the act anymore. It was one of those weird questions that really didn't apply to anything, but I'm going to give you a correct. So I'm going to write uh, nice. yes next to this one. So that means you got it. No will mean you didn't get it. Like how I did that, huh? That's, yes, yeah. no? Brilliant. Awesome. Yeah, brilliant. I, I think it was pretty damn brilliant, if you ask me. Okay, next question. Which of the following is false about Roth employer plan contributions under Secure Act 2? Which is false about employer plan contribute Roth employer plan contributions under Secure 2. Your choices. A, this provision was designed to raise revenue for other Secure 2 provisions. Before I go on, let me explain Mm. what this is, because the question didn't get very deep into it. When Ed asked, which of the following is false about employer Roth plan contributions under Secure 2, he was talking about the forced contributions that an employee must make into the Roth option if their earnings were over 145000 which has been delayed, has been delayed uh, for two years until January of 2026, and employer cont- matches on any of that uh, would have to go into the Roth. So which of the following is false about employer plan contributions under Secure 2? This provision was designed to raise revenue for other Secure Act 2 provisions. Roth employer contributions will be taxed to the employee, the same as Roth employee contributions. Roth employer plan contributions are not allowed in 403B plan. Or D, all of the above are false. I think is C is the correct answer because that maybe is the false statement. Roth employer plan contributions are not allowed in 403B plans. And the reason I'm saying that is I think A and B are correct. So I think that leaves it as... The third one, um, D can't be the case because one, I think both A and B are correct. So that's at least my thought process. So I'm going to stick to C as in Charlie. Roth employer plan contributions Mm -hmm. are not allowed in 403B plans. You can give yourself a clap, 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 clap as well on that. So you are two for two. Do you want to quit now while you're ahead? Uh, If I could, I would. (laughs) (laughs) This would be an extra short show. Just so everybody knows, employer contributions are allowed in 401ks, 403bs, and governmental 457 plans. So Chris is correct on that. So they are allowed on it. So the Roth employer plan contributions are permitted under Secure Act 2. So they could do that. Not every uh, employer has Roth accounts. That's one of the reasons the IRS granted the extension of the, the rule forcing employees who earn more than 145000 at the same employer the previous year from putting their catch-up contributions 
into the Roth option. Not every employer plan has Roth options. So that's why they're giving them more time to figure this all out. So uh, he was just testing here if you knew that you could have a Roth 403B plan and employer contributions could go into it. And it is true that this provision, this forced Rothification, if you will, it was designed to raise tax revenue to help the SECURE Act be revenue neutral. So they had to raise money somehow. Under SECURE 1, they did it, as we all know, by abolishing the stretch for many, many beneficiaries. The stretch IRA still exists, but for a narrow group of beneficiaries. Most people who inherit IRAs will not be able to stretch them. They'll have to close them within 10 years. That was a way to raise revenue to help pay for Secure 1. Well, a way to raise revenue to help pay for Secure 2 is the forced Rothification of some contributions because it forces you to pay taxes now and it gets to be added to the government rolls and the government can use that money and pat themselves on the back and say, see, it's revenue neutral. We all know it's hokey, but that's what they do. Yep. So far, so good. I'm two for two. It's great. You so are far. two for two. You sure you didn't come into the room when I was downstairs? And oh, yeah, take, that's what I did. Take my answer key. <laughs> I, I wish I would have thought of that because I probably would have <laughs> had I thought of it. <laughs> Actually, when I was coming back up the stairs, I thought to myself, that son of a gun, my answer key is right in the mm. penthouse recording suite, as Chris calls it. And if you had to go to the bathroom, mm-hmm. you would have seen it right on my cod table, yep. which you call the mahogany desk, but it's actually a piece of cheap 1970s furniture. Um, and you might have copied my answer you key. might have. We'll see how I... <laughs> don't get too excited. We'll see how I do on the rest of them. <laughs> okay, next question. Secure Act 2 reduces the penalty for missed required minimum distributions from 50% to 25%. The penalty can further be reduced to 10%. If which of the following happens, okay? So they went from 50 to 25, Mm -hmm. and there's a possibility for a missed RMD to get the 25% penalty down to just 10%. If which of the following happens? A, the missed RMD is taken at any time. B, The 10% penalty is paid by the tax filing deadline for the year of the missed RMD. The missed RMD is taken and the 10% penalty is paid by the end of the second calendar year following the year for which the RMD was missed. Or the RMD is taken and the IRS finds that the RMD was missed but for reasonable cause. Not requesting compassion, as Chris calls the initials RC, but reasonable cause. Do you need me to repeat those answers? No. (laughs) Okay. I think I'm going to be guessing on this one because 
This one I thought I would know, but if I if I say the answer second guess again, yeah. let me. I'll just read them one more yeah. time, folks. I, so I think I know. Let me read them one more time for the sake of our listeners as well, because this isn't visual. It's not like Jeopardy where you can read the question or the answer in Jeopardy. So follow this through, folks. We all know that the 50% penalty that few people ever paid because you would file form 5329, I call it the mea culpa form. You would fill in, I think it's section 8. You would admit to missing missing the RMD, you would write RC, reasonable cause, not requesting compassion, as Chris jokingly said, onto Form 5329, where the penalty was supposed to be assessed of 50%, you would put a big fat zero and write RC next to it, telling the IRS, I have reasonable cause for missing this. You would attach literally a letter, which would be three sentences, each sentence a separate paragraph, First paragraph identifying what happened. Second paragraph identifying what did you do to uh, keep it from ever... No, wait, that was the third paragraph. What have you ever done to keep it from ever happening again? What happened? I missed the RMD. How? Second paragraph, how? So what happened? I missed an RMD. How? Blah, blah, blah. And third paragraph, what you did to make sure it never happens again. You would attach that letter to form 5329, mail it in. And never be assessed the penalty. I don't know. Do you know of anyone, seriously, who ever had to pay the penalty if they appealed? And it was their first. If it was your second, third, or fourth, no, 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 no. But your first missed RMD. I don't know of anyone, if they actually filed for this request, ever had to pay it. So when the government counted it, excuse me, cut it from 50 to 25 they, they passed it off, folks, as being this wonderful thing. And you could lower it to even 10 if you follow one certain rule. And I'm about to read the four clues again. You got to pick which one applies. If you followed one of those rules, then you would only have to pay 10. But as I was saying to myself when this first came out, and then Ed reiterated to the group, 10% or 25% of something is always greater than 50% of nothing. He even admitted the penalty was very rarely assessed. The unknown is, will they still be as generous and forgiving now with a 25 or as little as 10% penalty for a missed RMD? Okay, so again... Which one has to happen for the penalty to be, instead of 50 or 25, just 10%? The RMD is later taken at any time. As long as you take the RMD out, they don't catch it, you take it out. Or the 10% penalty is paid by the tax filing deadline for the year of the missed RMD. Or the RMD is taken and the 10% is simultaneously paid by the end of the second calendar year after the year for which it was missed. Or the RMD is taken and the IRS finds that the RMD was missed for reasonable cause. So I think it's B as in boy. Um, 
I'm hesitant on this one, but I, I'm leaning most strongly toward B as in boy. Uh, D I've dismissed because the whole point of them reducing it, they've reduced it, but then my understanding is they've said, we're not going to give you an out. Now you're going to have to pay it. Uh, so the best case, instead of the 0% that you would pay when you previously filed the farm form 5329 with the letter, like you described, would, would go to zero. They'd waive the penalty. Um, I think they've said they're not going to do that anymore. So this is actually an increase in the overall taxes collected due to missed RMDs. Uh, but it's more palatable at only 10% if you deal with it by the end of the tax filing deadline of the year following the year you missed the RMD. Absolutely. This was another hidden revenue increase. And that was my point months ago and Ed's point as well to the group when, when we were out there in the springtime. And uh, which you said B, correct? Yes. Yeah. Um, give yourself not a clap, but the buzz. Oh, is it C? Yeah, it's C. Yeah. Uh, that, that was that I was between C and B, and I just felt B seemed more logical. But uh, I'm glad for the listeners out there that it's C because that gives you more time. It does, uh, but they're only giving you two years, and two years from when the RMD was due. If the R, the answer was the RMD is taken and the 10 percent penalty is paid by the end of the second calendar year following the year for which the RMD was missed. So if you missed it in 2023, then you would have to year-end 2025 to discover the missed RMD to not appeal it on 5329. They now, prior to to this rule, you didn't pay the 50% penalty and hope that you got forgiveness and a refund. You filed Form 5329, put a big fat zero in the 50% penalty box, and simply put the initials RC next to it, requesting reasonable cause. Chris calls it requesting compassion. Now it's different. They want you to do the mea culpa. First of all, discover it within two years. Do the mea culpa. Give them 10%. The question is, those who choose not to pay the 10% penalty and instead file form 5329, the way the law is, by time it gets settled, it will be after the two-year period. And you would then, therefore, if you're not given compassion, be faced with a 25% penalty. So what's worse, 10% now or the potential for zero or 25? That's what you're faced with. Do I want to pay 10 or go to Vegas and bet big where I could owe zero or, if I'm wrong, 25? So that was the answer. Fair enough. Yep. Now I won't forget it. (laughs) It's as usual on testing, at least for me, the ones that I miss are the ones that then stick in my mind. So. No, I think you're doing good. I think you're doing very good. You're, you're one for three. No, two Two for three. three. Two for three. Which is not as good as two for two. No, but here you can make it. 
you, you might be able to, to get back to 50-50. I'll do my best. You do your best. Okay. Let me see. Oh, I'm supposed to be telling you if I got the answers correct or not. So mm. I told you I got answer one correct. Mm-hmm. Um, question two, I did get correct. Question three, I got correct. And now we're doing question four, and mm-hmm. I too got question four correct. I did get three wrong, but we haven't hit one of them yet. Okay. As Secure Act 2 is currently written, it is unknown if the age 50 10% penalty exception can be used by a person with 25 total years of service, but with different employers. Oh, wait a minute, Chris. Oh, no. Okay. I thought I read the answer. That's the actual question. It was confusing me. Mm-hmm. And then it's a true and false. So let me clarify, folks, what Ed is asking. So the SECURE Act 2, we all know what that is. There is an age 50 10% penalty exception for early government employees. That's the age 50 exemption as it's currently known. So some of you listeners may not know this. Everybody probably knows the age 55 exemption. Why don't you explain that one, Chris? Because it's very closely related to this expansion in the SECURE Act. Yeah, so the general rule there is if in your primary retirement account at your employer, the employer you're at when you retire, as long as you retire in the year you turn 55 or later, they will waive the 10% early withdrawal penalty, not on all your retirement accounts, but on that one primary retirement account from that employer. So it's a way for you to retire before the normal 59 and a half year old trigger, which waives the early withdrawal penalty for everybody and gives you access to some of your retirement funds. Uh, but it has to be from that employer uh, from which you retired in the year you were 55 or later. So that's the general rule. And then Jim's talking about a, a broader rule for government employees. Right. So this is called the age 50 exemption. It's very, very similar to the age 55 exemption that most people go by, except those involved in public safety, both at the federal level, state level, and local level. So if you're a public safety employee, And this can include, obviously, law enforcement officers, firefighters, uh, EMTs, emergency medical workers, certain custom officials. They don't mention who in this um, um, readout that that I'm giving you. uh, Border Patrol, air traffic controllers, Mm -hmm. uh, nuclear material couriers, those people who drive nuclear materials around, Capitol Police, Supreme Court Police, diplomatic security agents. So it's pretty broad. Mm -hmm. It covers a lot of federal agencies, obviously, folks, but it covers pretty much all local and state as well if you're involved in public safety, public service. And what it does is it takes the age 50 exemption and expanded it even greater and said, or 25 years of service with the same employer or public service 
agency is a better way of putting it. So what Ed was asking hypothetically was based on this example he gave during the presentation. And in his example, he said, let's say Vince is a police officer and he became a police officer at age 22. And he stayed working for that same police force until age 47. So he's not 50 yet. But he stops working. And he starts debiting his employer's retirement account. Let's say the employer offers a traditional pension, that which most public safety employees do. Not all, but most do. So let's say he has a pension, but he also has a savings component to it. A 401A, perhaps, or 403B, 457, mm-hmm. some other savings component. Uh, I had a 457 when I was a police officer. Now, a 457 is a bad example because 457 plans are always exempt from the 10% penalty. But let's say it was a 401A that Vince had instead, and he started funding this 401A. When Vince retires at 47, even though he's not 50, because he retired after 25 years with the same agency, he can withdraw the money without a 10% early withdrawal penalty. But the question is, what if Vince worked for two separate employers to amass the 25 years, still in public safety, and retired, and was debiting that employer's plan from whence he retired, not the previous employer's plan? would there still be an exemption to the 10% penalty? That's the question. And did it say at what age he retired? Yeah, 47. He started at 22, retires at 47, 25 years in. Uh, That's not the original question you asked, though. As Secure 2 is currently written, it is unknown if the age 50, 10% penalty exception can be used by a person with 25 total oh, years of okay. service, but with different employers. I don't like the question was yeah. clearly written for someone who attended his conference right. and knows because what he's it, talking about. It sounds about. like, as you know, you have to also take the leap that they started working at a young enough age that after Correct. 25 years they haven't gotten to age 50. That, that's why I read his yeah. example that he gave. Yeah, okay. Us. That's, okay. I didn't that's a like poorly the, written question. It's a poorly written. Mm-hmm. It was not a question for a public podcast, it was a question <laughs> yeah. for the 400 members who attended his seminar. So when I read it, I had the same thing. I'm reading this. I'm saying, wait a minute, what the hell is he talking about? And then I remembered, oh, wait a minute. Okay, that's what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. So I went back to the manual to dig up the example he gave us. And that's why I wanted to give the example. So Vince in this case, folks, we know for certain if Vince started at 22, he's now 47. He's Mm -hmm. not 50 yet. If he worked 25 years with the same employer, no problem. But what if he started with an earlier law enforcement agency but was still in law enforcement? Maybe for the same state, just a different uh, law enforcement agency of that state or local agency. Who knows? Maybe like in Larimer County. He started in Larimer County Sheriff's Department in Colorado, but then switched to the Fort Collins Police Department to finish out his career. If he did the 25 years and only was debiting from the employer 
plan that he left. Ed is asking, is the SECURE Act clear on whether or not he would be exempt from the 10% penalty? I think the answer is no, um, and this is something that they should likely fix, because I don't know why someone who decides to switch agencies should be punished and put in a worse position than someone who happened to work at the same agency for the full 25 years. That seems like an arbitrary punishment that shouldn't apply. Uh, But I think it's too vague right now, and it would be unclear if if that would be the case. And you are correct, and that's exactly what Ed was pushing on. There is no clarity on that, Mm -hmm. but it seems patently unfair that someone has to stay for 25 years with the same agency. Mm-hmm. Can't We called it on the police force lateral. Can't lateral to another agency. Can't expand yourself. I know back where we were, you would start off in the city and then hope to get into the perhaps the state police. So that would be called a lateral. Very few stadies, we used to call them, stadies would go to the city police. But you might want a lateral. Or you would start with a smaller city and look to, or town and try to lateral to a larger city and eventually maybe even into Boston itself. So why should you be penalized? That was his point. He, there is no guidance, and that was his question. It's unknown. There's no guidance, and there still isn't any guidance yet. But the way it's written, it has to be with the same employer. That just seems patently unfair. I do think, personally, because uh, law enforcement, even though many hate defund the police, you know, that whole stuff, they still have a lot of sway and a lot of supporters And the idea of this was to help people in a very difficult job allow themselves to perhaps retire early enough where they can go do something else and and decompress. Because for 25 years, doing a job that sadly right now has no respect whatsoever, and it's so hard for a lot of these police departments as it is to recruit I don't know. I I do think that they'll fix this and say, no, as long as you stay in law enforcement or other public safety services for 25 years, uh, and even if you're younger than 50, you can still withdraw those dollars without the 10% penalty. Yeah. See, see, now you you redeemed yourself. Well, thank you. So I'm four for five. Was that the fifth question? I see one. Or three for four. I think you got four questions. Okay, so I'm three for four now. Three for four. Mm -hmm. Here is the fifth question. Secure two does not allow which of the following entities to receive a qualified charitable distribution, or QCD for short, from an IRA. So secure two does not allow which one of these to receive a QCD? A donor-advised fund, a charitable remainder annuity trust, a charitable remainder uni trust, or a charitable gift annuity. Which one cannot receive a QCD? By default, put another way, which three can receive a QCD? I think it's A, donor-advised fund, but the fact that he wrote a question implying that this was named in Secure 2 makes me a little 
concerned about my answer since that was the rule prior to Secure 2. So it's not like Secure 2 in, you know, enacted this on donor-advised funds unless they, unknown to me, uh, removed it for donor-advised funds, that, that prevention of that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick to A, thinking that the other um, charitable annuity style are, are more similar, and so the three of them make sense to be the three that are allowed. You are correct. Excellent. Donor advised funds still, and let's delve into this mm-hmm. a little bit deeper. Yeah. Because this one always makes my head scratch. Yeah. So a QCD, folks, uh, qualified charitable distribution, is when somebody 70 and a half, going back to the old mm-hmm. 70 and a half was your RMD age, they've never adjusted QCD ages higher. But a QCD allows someone who owns an IRA, not the um, beneficiary of the IRA, not uh, the spouse of the IRA owner, but the actual IRA owner themselves. They can take the uh, money that they were supposed to take out of that IRA and send it directly to a charity and not have to declare those dollars as income. That is better for you because it keeps your AGI lower than taking the money out of the IRA, declaring it as income, and then donating it to charity, especially because many people don't even get to deduct their donations anymore because of the very high standard deduction. So a QCD is valuable. But Chris is correct. You never could take money from your IRA during your life and give it as a QCD to a donor-advised fund, whether it's a donor-advised fund that you created or someone else created. You can't put money in as a QCD from your IRA. However, when you die, you can leave your IRA to a donor-advised fund. And it would be a legitimate charity. Mm -hmm. And it would inherit your IRA 100% tax-free. And then the IRA could be completely liquidated and paid to the donor-advised fund 100% tax-free. And then future generations, whether you have a surviving spouse or children or grandchildren, can start donating on behalf of the donor-advised fund to charitable causes they want to support or charitable causes that you have limited that donor-advised fund to. You have some control and sway over that. So it never made sense to me, folks, that you can do it at death, but you can't do it during life. I don't get that. Me either. But anyways, those are the rules. Under secure, for the first time ever, and this was never allowed before, But under SECURE, you can now donate a QCD to what is known as a split interest entity. And what that means is an entity that gives the donor some type of benefit and the entity gets some type of benefit. The rules of a QCD are quite strict. When you donate money from your IRA, it has to go directly 
to the charity. You cannot take the money first as cash, as a withdrawal. You can't take that money out and then give it to the charity later yourself. It has to go directly to the charity. And you can receive nothing of benefit back. Nothing. Now, there's some technical arguments and nuances that the way it's written, if you got a donut or a cup of coffee or a t-shirt, you'd be okay. I wouldn't. I would take nothing and don't risk it. But you're supposed to get no interest back for that. Now they're saying under secure, very limited participation, $50,000, one time, one time only, but it's considered a QCD, can go into a charitable remainder trust, whether it's a charitable remainder annuity trust or CRAT or charitable remainder uni trust or CRUT or to a gift annuity. When you take money and give it to a charity and they promise to pay you an income stream for the rest of your life, that's called a gift annuity. You do get an income tax deduction. Normally on that, you wouldn't if the money came from your IRA because it's going to go to them tax-free. But if you bought either of those CRTs or a gift annuity, uh, you would get a income tax deduction because it is considered a charity. When doing the $50,000 from your IRA, you get no income tax deduction, obviously, because it's tax-free. That's much better. But you can move $50,000, which is technically a QCD, to a split interest charity. You're getting a benefit. What's the benefit? An income stream. If you open up a CRAT or a CRUT with 50, first of all, let me say, no one, is going to open a $50,000 child remainder uni trust, a child remainder annuity trust. And any estate planning attorney worth their, their salt or whatever that saying is, worth their weight in salt, uh, something like that, worth their salt, right? Not their weight. It's their weight in, in, in uh, gold. Right. right? Worth, their, worth their weight is gold, which means it's, that they're very worthy. Right. right. Yeah. But worth their salt, whatever. So some saying like that. Any attorney out there, who does this for a living will tell you it's not worth it financially for the cost of setting up a charitable remainder trust. Mm -hmm. But in practice, the way it would work is you put money into it and then the trust will pay you an income stream for the rest of your life or you can fund it at death testamentarily through another uh, trust at your death that would allow your IRA to go into it, say, or other dollars you have can go into it at your death and end up paying a beneficiary an income stream for the rest of their life or about 20 years, whatever whatever is shorter. Uh, there's, there's a little bit of rules when you're doing it with a beneficiary as well. But you would definitely receive an income benefit if you're setting this up for your own, own uh, help. But at $50,000, it's not worth it. But the gift annuity, charities will take that. And you could put $50,000 in your IRA into a gift annuity tax-free 
and then the charity will begin paying you a very little bit amount of money. 50000 is not a lot, but for the rest of your life, you would get some money. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't get an income tax deduction, but you got $50,000 out tax-free from your IRA. So that's why he put as the answers gift annuities, uh, crats and cruts. That's the first time since Secure 2 you could do a split interest gift, especially with the rules of QCDs being so strict as it is where you're supposed to get nothing of benefit. Okay. Interesting. All right, so let me write yes next to that one. You got that one as well. Mm -hmm. So my count, that's five questions, right? Yep, and I'm four for five. Four for five. All right, number six. What will be... Oh, I'm supposed to tell you if I got these right or not. So let me go back to I'm sure you got the last one right. Yes, I did get that one. Let me make sure. Um, So we just need to know about number six here. Number six. Correct. I got that one correct as well. Okay, number six, what will be the 401k catch-up limit for ages 60 to 63 beginning in 2025? So why don't you explain what the catch-up contribution is, the age 50 catch-up contribution? So uh, once you reach age 50... Uh, you're allowed to make what are called catch-up contributions into any number of retirement accounts. So there's the standard contribution limit, and then once you are 50, they enhance it. And the uh, age 50 limit for, you said 401ks, uh, has been, I believe, $7,500. I honestly don't know what it'll be in 2025. I have not. So I guess you're going to have to give me the choices and I'll guess. Whoops, I'm sorry. I muted myself. <laughs> I was trying to tell you. I passed it off to you because I had a really itchy eye, so I had to get my glasses off ah, and scratch my okay. eye. So I should have talked a little longer. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't hear what you no. said. Oh, yeah. I, I don't. Um, well, the, the, you know, the, in the past, it's been $7,500 in a 401k, I believe. And, uh, but I honestly don't know what it is in 2025, that this is part of that that I have not read. Um, Okay. 25. Uh, a lot of stuff. My brain is kind of full of stuff, so I don't tend to feed it with stuff that doesn't matter quite yet. <laughs> so if I saw 2020, if this goes into effect 2025, I probably didn't stick it in there quite yet. But I honestly don't remember uh, what, what that might be. So I'll just be guessing on whatever options you provide to me. Okay. So right now, the catch-up contribution to employer plans is, I believe, Chris, $22,500. Um, oh, that's right. That's right. Seventy five hundred. I I totally was. No, no, that no. Was no a total you, you're close fart. to it. You're yeah. close to it. You're close no. to it. Did, <laughs> no, no, did no, you answer no. the question yet? That's what I can't remember. No, you didn't give me the question. I didn't give you the answers. You, okay. Well, you gave me the question. But okay. Uh, so what I'm trying answers. to do is lay what yeah. catch up contributions are. So to an employee, Chris is right. When you reach age fifty, mm-hmm. you can make quote unquote catch up contributions uh, to different employer plans uh, and to your own. Uh, IRA, if you will. Under secure, it created a new super Mm -hmm. catch-up contribution. Only for people for four years. I don't write these rules, folks. It's just stupid why they chose this. But age 60, 61, 62, and 63. 
Not 64, not 59, but 60, 61, 62, and 63. You can make an additional catch-up contribution to your employer plan for those four years on top of the current catch-up contributions. Okay, and the 22.5, I apologize, is your deferral limit in 2023 for 401ks. Okay, so what is this special catch-up contribution, a a super catch-up, if you will? Here are your choices, Chris. Now, if I can find the question again. Okay. You will be allowed to put in an additional $7,500, A, B, 150% of the age 50 or older catch-up limit for 2024, the age 50 or older catch-up limit for 2024, so whatever that limit is, you could put that in. Or $11,250. Let me repeat this question because it's very confusing. What will be the 401k catch-up limit for people ages 60 to 63 beginning in 2025? A flat $7,500 or 150% of the age 50 or older catch-up limit for 2024, the previous year? Because he's talking 2025. So 150% of what the age 50 or older catch-up limit is. Or essentially the age 50 or older catch-up limit itself. Or $11,250. Now that you read those, I do remember reading about this. I told you, folks, this is not an easy test. And you have to really know the nuances of secure. But this is the... Catch-up, catch-up contribution. Right, right. And I'm, I'm now 90% sure that it is the 150% of whatever the regular catch-up contribution would be. Uh, and that, you reading them, that jogged my memory, because so I, I did run across this before. Um, and just to clear up confusion of what Jim said, the 7,500 I was talking about was the current catch-up. The 22.5 was the current deferral amount, the base amount, even before you're age 50. So the 7,500 is on top of that 22.5, getting you to a, a total you know, contribution limit traditionally of, of 30 grand um, in there. So I just wanted to clear that up because it sounded like we were bopping back and forth on. We were kind of talking about two different things on there. So, But I'm going to stick to the, I don't remember what letter it was, but whichever letter was 50% higher or 150% of whatever the regular ketchup amount is. And you can say, ding, 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 ding. How about clap, 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 clap. (laughs) So let's expand on that, folks. For essentially what's happening, for employees who are age 50 or older, most employers are going to allow you to make a catch-up contribution. Your current deferral limit is $22,500. That's how much you can defer into a 401k. If you are over the age of 50, you can put an extra 7500 in. Beginning in 2025, so still about another year and three months from now. But beginning in 2025, 
and only for people who are 60, 61, 62, and 63, they could put an additional catch-up contribution in. So let's just use today's numbers, even though in a couple of years they'll have been adjusted for inflation. Someone, if it was 2025 now and the limits were now, someone could put in 22500 as their elective deferral, 7500 as a catch-up, and an additional 150 or essentially 50% of whatever the current limit is for someone age 50, which is seven and a half in my example. So they can put that additional amount in as well. So it gets a little confusing. It's hard to track. You're only going to have four years to do this. Employers are going to have to track it, going to have to track your age and make sure you're only doing it up to your age. I have no idea what happens if you turn 60 uh, in the middle of the year, let's say you start the year at 59, but in June you're now 60. Can you do it in the year of? What about the year that, because you can only do it 60, 61, 62, and 63. What about the year you turn 64? You're still 63. Can you fully fund it until you hit 63? So Get they all didn't the define how in? they're going to measure that? They left no. that vague? Oh, it's that's all, nice of them. It's all open. Are they going to let you prorate the contribution for the amount of months that you were 63 before you turned 64? I mean, this is the insanity of adding something stupid like this. And someone pointed out at the Ed Slot Group, and I wish it was me, but the guy was right. Why are they doing this at 60 to 64? If they want to do it, why don't they do it at 40 to 44? Give you time to get compounding. Mm -hmm. yeah. If they're going to allow you to put more money in, the idea is compound it. So they're going to allow you to save a little bit more money just before you're going to start spending your money? Makes no sense. You want to improve people's ability to retire, get rid of all these damn stupid catch-up rules and everything to begin with, and just let people, anyone, put 30, 40, 50,000 in whatever you decide. But you're going to have all these different age-based rules now. And again, I don't know if it's going to be in the year of. So you could theoretically start as early as 59. If at some point at 59, you're going to turn 60. Or do you have to physically turn 60 and then do it? And just prorate for the year of 60? I, I, I don't know. It just seems like a regulatory nightmare it just seems like a record-keeping nightmare for employers and what good does it do all of you listening to this know because you you are vanguardian vgs compound interest is what the eighth wonder of the world is the eighth or not? yeah because the seven wonders of the world the eighth wonder of the world they say how much compounding are you going to get at 60 to 63 Hell of a lot less compounding than you would get if they let you put extra money in in the 30s or 40s. Not that many 30 and 40s would actually do it, which is sad. But those who do do it could get a lot more growth. Anyways, I just figured I would rant over that. There's a lot of interesting choices in Secure 2. <laughs> I don't get any of that. Okay, let's do one more question then wrap this bad boy up. Okay. Okay, this one's much quicker. 
Okay, I'm going out of order. This is actually question 12. <laughs> okay. We'll keep track of what we've done know, so we don't repeat any next time. Tra- I'm going to have to track this now to make sure I don't ask it to you twice. Secure Act 2 keeps intact previous rules allowing an individual who missed a required minimum distribution to take the distribution and then use Form 5329 to request a waiver of the penalty. True or false, the ability to use Form 5329 continues under Secure Act 2. That's essentially what he's asking. Yes or no? Our previous discussion, lucky for me, answered this question. You can still do 5329. You're just rolling the dice that it's not going to work out um, in there. But that you can still request via 5329. Ding, 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 ding. Oh, clap, 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 whatever you want to do. But yes, you are correct. Nice. And that's why I asked that one as a quicker, folks. So that's we super could, quick, yeah. Get that. Nice and quick, because <laughs> nice. we kind of answered. The, the one yeah. that I was going to ask, yeah. I'd have been here for a good 12 to 15 minutes chatting about it. <laughs> okay. So um, you're doing pretty good. Uh, so far, yeah, we, we like, did good. We didn't get to any of the ones I got wrong yet either. Mm, so okay. uh, you're, you're, you're doing well. But uh, I'm looking here. Nope, my, my faults. Excuse me, my wrong questions, not false questions, uh, have yet to be asked. Okay. Okay. Perfect stopping point. So uh, <clears throat> hope you're all learning something from this. That's the point of the EDU shows. It's We're doing kind of a fun format through this uh, question and answer uh, on, a, on quiz questions. But uh, I think these are always kind of fun. Maybe that's just we're, you know, that's just the two of us that find it that way. But we hope you're learning something through this process. Um, I'm sure next week we're going to continue this because we've got more of those questions. We may or may not get through all of them next time, but I suspect it's going to, at this pace, we're on the same pace to take three shows to do this um, that I think we ended up doing last time. But um, we'll, we'll see. We'll it do it how it takes. deep we want to get yeah. into the weeds. Yeah, if there's a few more that are like quick, then uh, we might do it in two shows. But we'll be doing at least one more show on this. All righty. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And we'll be back next week with you with a brand new show. You have listened to Jim on the radio, read his quotes in the media, and enjoyed his banter on iTunes. But even now, you may wonder what sets Jim Salmier and Associates apart from other financial planning companies. The answer is quite simple. Jim's diverse team of professionals specializes in retirement planning. They form a lifelong relationship with you and measure their success not through product sales, but through the security and prosperity you may achieve in your retirement. Jim's entire team shares his unwavering commitment to placing their clients' best interests first while offering their services at fair prices with full disclosures. The professionals at Jim Saulnier & Associates are available to assist you with your retirement planning needs. Visit jimhelps.com to schedule your complimentary coffee and a second opinion meeting. That's jim, H-E-L-P-S, dot com. Or call 970-530-0556. The Retirement and IRA Show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor. Financial planning services.
services offered through Jim Solnier & Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor.